0: God's grace, God's peace, God's love to you from our resurrected Lord who declares us forgiven of all our sins, who declares us to be his children through faith in Jesus Christ. Our sermon text is taken from Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were filled, or were guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Uh, see him. Now I have told you. So the uh, women hurried away from the tomb, afraid and yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples, and suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, and they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The word of the Lord. Dear friends in Christ, Ruth Dillo, Dillo. Was a resident of Humboldt, Kansas. She worked at a garment factory in Dillo, Kansas. One one Thursday in the 1990s during the Gulf War, her uh, entire world was basically turned upside down. As she was working in the garment factory itself, two military people came to the to the factory, sought her out, and then told her that her son, her son's name was uh, Private First Class Clayton Carpenter. They said that he had been killed in the Gulf War. He had been killed in Iraq. He had uh, stepped on a landmine. Needless to say, her life was indeed turned upside down. People surrounded her, trying to comfort her, trying to console her. It was that way for the rest of Thursday and then all of Friday and early into Saturday when suddenly the phone rang. And on the other end was a voice that she, that she thought was startling familiar. Hi, Mom. I'm alive. Hi, mom. I'm alive. It was her son. Her son, he was in a field hospital in Iraq. He had indeed stepped on a landmine, but he survived. She didn't know what to think. In fact, this is what she said. It was such a shock that I was afraid somebody was playing with my mind And I asked him questions that only he would know the answers to. And when he was able to answer them, then she knew that it was he, her son. And she said she was ready to do cartwheels. I guess I would too. I would too. The son who was dead was really alive. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds familiar wasn't the only time that that's ever happened. In fact, you can actually look that up a few times and you'll find that in World War II, that happened a few times also where soldiers were reported to be dead and they were actually alive. One can understand in all the chaos that's going on. It's kind of what happened on Easter too, didn't it? Or at least on Good Friday. Many of the people there in the city of Jerusalem one time had followed Jesus But then over a period of time, they had fallen away. And by the end of the week, they were saying, crucify him, crucify him. And yet there was a handful of people there that were loyal to the very end. And while they saw him bow his head in death, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And perhaps they watched while he was laid in the grave on Easter morning. Things are different. He's alive. He's risen. And that's the the great message of Easter. The Son of God, our Savior, is very much alive. Yes, he lives. He lives. Now, it's interesting here that a lot of women were involved in that first Easter. Uh, In fact, Matthew tells us right here, he says, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Well, they weren't the only women that went. Other uh, uh, gospels tell us that there were other women that also went. And what were they going to do there? Well, we've got to remember, right, that uh, Jesus died just before, just before the Sabbath. And according to Jewish law, no one was supposed to touch a corpse on the Sabbath day. So uh, there was Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea two big shots really in the city they were members of the Sanhedrin the very people that put Jesus to death and voted to do so except they didn't have a they didn't have a unanimous vote obviously because these two men came forward asked for the body took him down and then took him to the grave a new newly cut grave that Joseph of Arimathea had Since the time was short, they packed about 75 pounds of myrrh around him along with aloes, and then they wound it around the body of Jesus. It was a hurry-up job, and that's why the women were there. This was the first day of the week. Early in the morning, they went there to finish what Nicodemus and what uh, Joseph of Arimathea weren't able to do in a proper way. And boy, did their lives change. Now, the first thing they had a problem with is who was going to roll away the stone? They weren't strong enough to do that. The stone was too big. But as they got to the grave, the Lord had already taken care of that. In fact, the scriptures tell us here there was a violent earthquake For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now, let me tell you this. As a Christian, we should never be ashamed of the miracles that happen one after another after another. And they were popping like popcorn here. First of all, first of all, there was this earthquake that God sent. Then there was the angel, a bright light, as a bright light, and then pushed the stone to open the grave to let everybody know that it was empty. Then that uh, angel <laughs> frightened the bejeebers out of the, out of the, two, uh, out of the two guards. You know, see, that's what happens when holiness meets sin, the sinner becomes very much afraid because of the sins that we do. But then the greatest part of the miracle or the series of miracles was the message that was spoken by the angels. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, he's not here. He has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. So what did they see? Well, that was kind of interesting. Scriptures tell us that what they saw was an empty grave, sort of. And what I mean by that is this. The grave clothes were still there, but the body was not. Along with the grave clothes was a cloth that would have been put over his face. That too was there, nicely folded. So what happened? What happened? Oh, lots of people, lots of people have doubts about the resurrection of Jesus. But the fact is the body was not there. People use rational thinking, say something like this, well... I've never seen a body raised from the dead. In fact, no one who lives nowadays has ever seen a body that has been raised from the dead, right? So if the dead are not raisable now, how could they have been? How could it have been raisable then? So that's the rationale that is used. It's logical. Dead people don't rise from the dead. But on the other hand, Something must have happened that particular day because it's grown into this thing called Christianity, and there are billions of people, a billion people, who believe that Jesus rose from the dead. It's the heart and core of the Christian faith. So, how do you explain that? Well, the skeptic will say, as many people did in those days, the body was stolen. Stolen, huh? Well, let's examine the evidence. I assume that we don't have any grave, robber, grave, grave robbers here. <laughs> but if you were, if you were, would you leave the grave clothes, take the clothes off the body and then take the body and leave the grave clothes there? I don't know. It would seem to me that job description number one for a grave robber is do it quickly, grab and run. And what makes it even more difficult to think that the body was actually stolen was the fact that myrrh is a very sticky substance, and you put that next to the skin, and throwing those strips of cloth off would have been very difficult to do. And then would a grave robber actually take that face cloth and fold it up neatly? No, his body wasn't stolen got to be another explanation. How about, how about he was never dead in the first place? He never really was in the grave anyway. How about that? Well, let me tell you this. You would never have convinced the Roman Roman guards of that. Remember when they uh, were ordered then to take these bodies down before the Sabbath? Remember what they did? There was Jesus and there were the two thieves on each side. They went to those bodies and they broke the legs of those two criminals that were crucified next to Jesus. Put them in a shock so they would be dead once and for all. But the soldiers knew that wasn't necessary for Jesus. They knew he was dead. They knew it. They slid aside, out came water and blood. And besides that, who would have survived the infection from the 39 floggings across the back? Who would have survived the infection of the, of the uh, spikes in the hands and the feet? Now he was dead. He was dead all right. And you know, there are all kinds of other explanations that people give when it comes to Jesus and his death and resurrection, trying whatever they can to be able to undermine it. But you know something? It just doesn't work. For not only did Jesus show that he was not in the grave, he also showed himself to be very much alive. And that also happened here. It says here, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. I love that phrase. They were afraid and yet filled with joy. Something's on here I can't explain, but I think it's good. (laughs) Afraid yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples and suddenly what? Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. This is one of the first, probably one of the first two resurrection appearances of Jesus. As I said when I was reading uh, the readings here, the Bible seems to indicate there may have been about nine or 14 of them, depending upon the different writers, maybe looking at the same time but from a different angle. But did you hear all the people that saw Jesus alive? Were you listening to that, particularly from 1 Corinthians 15? Remember when he said, in Galilee, there were 500 people? Maybe you're too old, or too young, rather, I'm too old. You're too uh, young to to remember uh, Perry Mason, but I think Perry Mason would have really loved that, to have 500 witnesses verifying the fact that what he was trying to prove was right. Over 500 people saw him alive, including Peter. He presented himself particularly to Peter. This is the man that denied knowing the Lord Jesus Christ three times, along with the other disciples. They ran away in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what ended up happening? They ended up seeing that Jesus was alive and then later on, what did they do? They died. They gave them their lives up because they were telling people that Jesus rose from the dead and they would not give it up, and they lost their lives because of it. Do you lose your life for a lie? Would you? Now, Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, when we talk about the resurrection of the dead, it's the very cornerstone of Christianity. That's what the devil wants to get rid of. Belief in the resurrection from the dead. Because if there is no resurrection, then Jesus is just an ordinary man. If he's just an ordinary man, then he couldn't save us from our sins. The Apostle Paul said it like this. If Christ be not raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is useless. If the resurrection is not true, we don't have to gather here today. We could sell this building... We could move on and never meet again. Judy and I could go back to Tennessee and live there, and we would never see you again. Certainly not in heaven. But you know what? (laughs) It's quite the opposite of that, isn't it? Because Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus assures us I always like to say of four points. Number one, It shows us, first of all, that Jesus was the very Son of God. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says exactly that, that Jesus is shown to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus also said these words a little bit uh, earlier in his life. He said, I have the power to lay it down, his life, and I have the power to take it up again. Well, that's something only God could do. And he did. So Jesus is indeed the son of God. He's God. And the second thing that it proves is that everything that Jesus says is absolutely true. Remember, in the first year of his ministry, he went to the city of Jerusalem. He did this twice. He cleansed the temple one at the beginning of his ministry, one at the end of his ministry. At the beginning of his ministry, he chased all those cattle and all the money uh, uh, people out of the temple because they had turned it into a shopping mall instead of a a place of worship. By what authority do you do this? They asked, and he said, I'll destroy this temple, and in three days I'll rebuild it. The temple that he was talking about was not the temple, but the body temple. And in three days, I will raise it again. Boy, did he go out on limb, didn't he? Three years before it happened. He said he would rise from the dead. And three years later, that's exactly what happened. Don't you think that if he can make claims like that and bring them and make them true, why should we doubt anything that Jesus says? And when he says your sins are forgiven, don't doubt it. When he says that he is with you every single day of your life, don't doubt it. When he says that uh, that he's going to accompany you, that he's going to answer your prayers, that he's going to come back and you take a look at all the different promises that Jesus gives us in the Bible. There's not one of them that we should doubt. Because Jesus proved that everything he said is true. Third thing that the resurrection proves is this that our sins are indeed forgiven. First year I was in a the ministry. There was a leader in the, in fact, in a Lutheran church body who said these words, and these are, I think, almost word for word, that it was not necessary to believe in Jesus' resurrection from the body. He said, it makes no difference if Jesus' body is moldering away in some Palestinian grave. In other words, it doesn't make any difference, it's rotting. What do you mean? If Jesus didn't die, how would we have any assurance that our sins were forgiven? I always like to say this, that that the uh, resurrection is the receipt. St. Paul said that he was put to death for our offenses. When he died on the cross, he was paying for the sins, the wages of sin. He was put to death for our offenses and was raised again, actually the Greek says, because of our justification. Justification is to be declared innocent, not guilty. If Jesus were remaining in the grave, how would we have an assurance that our sins have been taken away? You go to a store, you get a receipt. Someone wants to ask you, uh, How do you, I know that you bought that? You show them the receipt. That's what the resurrection is. How do you know you've been bought and paid for by Christ? Show them the receipt. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The fourth point and the lesson we need to learn is this that because Jesus rose we're going to. He forgave us our sins and he promises and actually when you stop and think about it that first easter was a preview of what's going to happen to all of us. He says because I live you will live also. Jesus once said I am the resurrection and the life at the grave of Lazarus. Or not quite at the grave. He was speaking to his Lazarus' sister. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. For whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Well, give me the proof, Jesus. <laughs> okay. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And he was raised from the dead. Jesus says to us in his word through the Apostle Paul that on Judgment Day, when Judgment Day comes, bodies and souls are going to be reunited. And those bodies and souls of those who are reunited, who believe in Jesus, their bodies will be like Jesus' glorious body. And again, I simply say this, Jesus' words, because I live, you will live also. There are some very important graves in this world. You think about just down the road from us, right? The tomb of the unknown soldier. How impressive is that? Changing of the guard, that's truly awesome. About a year ago when we were serving in Lesby, a member there had her husband buried in Arlington. We had the privilege of going. How impressive was that? Then you can take a look at the pyramids. And you know what the pyramids are? They're really the gravestones of some arrogant pharaoh who thought that he was God. But if he was God, why is he buried? And you know what the Taj Mahal is? Same thing. A Nepalese prince is buried there. Let's take the empty grave of Jesus. That's the one. That's really important. And that's the one that tells us and assures us that there's life eternal. That's the one that shows us and tells us and gives us proof from Jesus Himself that what He says is true because I live, you will live also. He is risen. risen.